to Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. This is episode 107. And uh, with me this week, uh, we have a very special, I always say that, everyone's always special. <laughs> uh, my esteemed colleague and friend, Greg Lay. Hello there. Very pleased to be back on Radio Trivia. It's a little uh, shorter gap than usual because we actually did my yearly appearance last year a bit later in the calendar <laughs> because you were at PAX East last year yeah. and therefore I couldn't commiserate with you on that occasion. <laughs> not, not this time. Uh, yeah, so we, we took the opportunity to uh, record because uh, I couldn't make it out either this year. Um, we wish uh, our friends the best. They're two podcasts. If you haven't heard them yet, I'm, I'm sure they're up by now by the time this, this episode will go up. So uh, go back to the backlog, check out uh, the RFN live show as well as uh, the Connectivity live show from PAX East. But brought to you by PAX East is Radio Trivia, episode 107 <laughs> with Greg Lee. <laughs> So, since uh, Greg is, is of course, uh, from Europe, we thought we'd do something slightly different. So, this episode, there is one game that has been released in Europe, but has not been released in America. Yeah, just a little wild card in there. Add a little extra layer to the guessing and the, you know, the mind games that go on with Radio Trivia. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it should be a, a straightforward episode of Radio Trivia. So please enjoy the first game. Sorry, Greg. That was uh, that was a pretty hideous song. It's all part of the progress that you will see. All right then. Thank you. 
you see, was that not pretty enough for you as a contrast? Uh, that was very nice. Uh, actually, it sounds like a lot of different games, so I I'm, I'm, might confuse some people. There you go again. Food for thought. But we, of course, so have we always provide food for thought with our questions here. Uh, the bonus slash trivia question. Uh, so I'll read the one for this game. And it is, uh, what piece of jewellery proves to be indispensable in this game? that one too why did you start us off with like such a crummy song though? oh yeah, she... well you see again you've got to think about the progression so uh -huh. anyway uh, let's uh, <laughs> kill any suspense should there be uh, any uh, because we like to start these off with a nice easy one to get you going this is Super Ghouls of Ghosts for the Super Nintendo uh, personal favourite game of mine and all of those uh, songs were chosen from the final levels of the game. <laughs> so that was my one hope to perhaps box people if they'd ever played the game. If they, you know, like some people, they might get a few levels in and then give up. So it serves a dual purpose of, number one, perhaps uh, they wouldn't be able to guess it because they didn't hear those uh, songs very much. Or at least, uh, you know, if they've never heard them, this gives them the chance to actually mm -hmm. be exposed to them for the first time. So that's why I went with all... But that was pretty much just the, the, the second half of the game that you just heard, excluding the... Uh, boss themes and such so uh, I think all the songs actually do a pretty creditable job of uh, setting the scene very nicely for the various levels you have to understand the fourth level uh, which was the first song that you just heard is set inside the bowels of a giant demon 
So it's kind of very sort of apt to me that it sounds as hideous as this. It's a very hideous <laughs> level. It's sort of spinning in mode seven. There's all pulsing oh uh, things, you know, and these horrible enemies coming to get you. And it's uh, it scores and goes incredibly difficult and horrible. And I think as uh, harsh as it might be on the ears in some ways, it's perfectly appropriate. But then the next level is an ice forest, and so that's why it's so much prettier. You know, when you have an ice level or like crystalline caverns in DKC, it's got to be pretty and lovely. <laughs> yes, and then, to be absolutely. fair, even though it still calls a ghost, I think they did a, a really lovely job of actually taking it to a, a beautiful place, making you feel like you, oh, thank God I'm out of that horrible bowels place and <laughs> out in the open again. I think it was really effective in that way. And then the final song is for the castle levels at the end of the game where you fight the final bosses and stuff. So uh, it had the kind of appropriate uh, grandeur and sort of threatening kind of uh, nature to them. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a soundtrack that is very effective at the kind of blending and syncing up with visuals, getting that sense of place. But uh, you know, I don't know that the, the instrument samples are as good as you know what, what Konami was doing at the same yeah. time, probably. Uh, but still, uh, I like the soundtrack. It's one of the things that I think, even if you know you're not necessarily a fan of this game or you found it too hard or whatever, one of the things I wanted to do was have it on here so maybe you could get uh, some appreciation because I think it's good work. Yeah, I mean, I. I like platformers, but I have absolutely zero interest in this series. Um, what would you say to someone like me about the game? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting because the, if you look back at, you know, kind of like maybe Ghouls and Ghosts, yeah, as opposed to Super Ghouls and Ghosts, because they are different games. It isn't just the Super Nintendo version of it. If you look at the, the arcade game that was converted to Genesis and all sorts of other things, that is much less of a platform. You, you don't have the double jump and all that sort of thing so it's more of a kind of like run and gun-ish kind of game oh, there's still platforming in it but it, it's somewhere between the two whereas this because they actually introduced the double jump and stuff they did kind of I think more emphasise more the platforming but in a very unorthodox way mm-hmm. so it isn't the easiest thing to get to grips with just from a you know, kind of basic level because it gives you so little control over your character in the air. There's virtually none apart from the double jump, you know. But right. once you initiate a jump, you are helpless, you know. And uh, so you really have to, you know, look before you leap, quite literally, you know, and, and think about, you know, enemy attack patterns and all that. So you have to be very careful, very deliberate. And so it's it's really kind of counter to the kind of language that a lot of those 16-bit kind of action uh, games had at the time, those side-scrollers. You just have to kind of throw out what you think you already know from playing other games and go from from scratch with this one because it is so different. Uh, So that's something that I think a lot of people are just not going to reconcile. I mean, even for me, you know, I had it as a Christmas present when I was a child, and so it was you know, the thing. So I dedicated myself to you know, learning it, getting better at it, you know, and, and playing it for hours on end. And like, you've got the time to do that. But uh, I think the uh, the game design has plenty of merits when you look at how it's built around this very um, specific kind of movement that the character has. Uh, and it is a great satisfaction in overcoming its, its challenges once you do it, but um, it, it, it really isn't for everyone, and, and that's an obvious thing to say. 
Was this the game you guys used for Retroactive, or was it a different entry in the series? No, it was this one. It was Super Ghouls and Ghosts, which Johnny unfortunately was absent for the actual episode due to completely unrelated reasons. But also, he did play it for like, I think he got to the second level and just threw up his hands, so I can't deal with this. <laughs> and you know, Johnny's pretty, pretty uh, you know, open-minded to old-school, tough action games. So to tell you, it's, it's something a little different here. It's not just about how hard it is, you know. It, it, it's specifically the kinds of handling of a character. Though. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's nice to get a chance to feature the songs from the game because that exactly the kind of game that I would never have heard otherwise. Yeah, especially these levels. Like, I mean, of course, yeah. you know, like the the opening level of the game features the famous theme song from Ghosts and Goblins and, and all the games in the series basically mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the catchiest kind of 8-bit uh, songs that I've ever heard uh, but it's it's great but you know so everyone will probably know that so I didn't want to use that one but yeah the, this other stuff later in the game I definitely wanted to fit in there but it's interesting because when I go back to thinking about Ghouls and Ghosts when I was and, and Ghosts and Goblins when I was younger that first song you know it's got a it's, it's, it's great it's got a very sort of whimsical kind of quality to it and so that's how I always thought of Ghouls and Ghosts being a lot sort of sillier than Castlevania which was its Mm -hmm. obvious kind of contemporary and it is I mean you get turned into a baby by a wizard and all sorts of silly stuff and you when you lose your army running around in your boxer shorts and all I mean (laughs) it is that way but to be fair actually a lot of the songs as it goes on in this particular case I think do have more of a you know a dramatic uh, edge to them you know, there is a slump. Yeah. Does it gets a bit more serious, and certainly, I think it goes in much more interesting places. You're primarily probably because of the Super NES's sound capabilities than the previous games did. I mean, I've played Ghouls and Ghosts, you know, and and I don't really think there's very much interesting things going on in the soundtrack there. Certainly, in this case, uh, there are, and uh, it was composed by a female composer uh, by uh, by the name of Mari Yamaguchi, and she. Has he did a lot of Capcom stuff of that era. If anything like UN Squadron, mm-hmm. Mega Man 5, Magical Quest starring Mickey Mouse, like pretty much Breath of Fire, I believe, as well. You know, so there was just this period in the sort of uh, early to mid 90s uh, where she was very prolific, and then I can't really find anything after that. But uh, <laughs> so she did a lot of good work for them. Yeah, the second song definitely reminded me of a Mega Man game, uh, the Ice Forest level. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. All right, well, we probably should answer the bonus question before we That's right, yes. Yeah, so th- those of you that listen to the Retroactive might remember this. You might, although I doubt we probably mentioned the na- the specific name of it, but basically this is the this piece of jewellery is the item that you need to kill the final boss, which, you know, you get to the end of the game and the princess that you're trying to save tells you, oh, you don't have this. I must have left it at the start of the game. So can you go back to the start of the game and then play through it all again? And then you can kill the boss with this item. So it is the goddess bracelet. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually kind of a crappy weapon. Uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, given that it is a piece of jewellery, uh, but so basically, <laughs> it, it makes you you know go through big portions of the game again with a weapon that say you know that only just goes forward and has a limited range, whereas some of the other weapons like for the crossbow or whatever has like you know it, it shoots diagonally, and so that it, you know it, it will make that second playthrough, which was a staple of the Ghosts and Goblins series from the original game. 
quite a lot harder if you're doing significant bits with that, so I had to get that in there, because it is the defining characteristic of the series, uh, that little bit of trivia. Ugh. But I mean, if, I think the goddess bracelet part of it, that, I mean, I never knew it was called that because I played it in Japanese, but it is referenced in Marvel vs. Capcom 3, uh, that Arthur is in it as a playable character, and I think it's one of his yeah. super moves, is the goddess bracelet, so uh, maybe some people might have been able to answer it <laughs> on that basis. Okay. All right, we should probably move on to the second game here. Sure.
There we go. It was a little easier on the ears than the starting song for the last game, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> hear james jones cackling from here <laughs> well the nice reserved little song there for the second one not grandiose at all <laughs> well um here's your question <laughs> how many composers worked on this game's soundtrack you know how i hate number questions greg ah uh, yes but it, it fulfills the dual purpose of offering a hint as well as uh, a teaser yeah
That one might have a familiar sound uh, to quite a few people. I wonder if that will actually help them get what this game is. I think they will, because uh, this game isn't that hard to get. No. It's, uh, it is, of course, Kirby Air Ride. I mean, uh, <laughs> Kid Icarus Uprising <laughs> for 3DS. Let's see, now that's what really tickled me about is uh, how much that does sound like the legendary Air Ride machine or whatever. It's about the, the arrangement in Brawl specifically. Which, of course, yeah, has the Sakurai connection. You know, the, uh, oh, with, yeah, uh, all those games, yeah. Uh, but but what, I, what I found amusing was the fact that, from what I could tell, uh, from this uh, game's illustrious roster of composers that we mentioned in the hit question, uh, they were not the same people that were involved in Kirby's Air Ride or Brawl in terms of that handling that arrangement. So mm. I don't know why it sounds quite so similar. Maybe he just said, just... just I just want that. Just give me that again, but a bit differently. I really love that song. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> so, uh, of course, uh, this game has several composers. It, it is kind of a, a mini mashup, kind of like uh, Smash Brothers. Although, you know, a lot of games these days uh, have several composers, especially uh, RPGs. Yeah. So it's it's yes. not it's not that unusual to have four or five uh, composers. There, so how many were there? Uh, we have. Um... Yeah, so, uh, well, five is is what uh, my understanding is. Uh, th- those are being uh, Mr. Sakuraba, who I, I can only assume was responsible for the second question. Although those of you that may be you know may may find Mr. Sakuraba's guitar stylings a bit much should be glad should be glad I chose the land battle. Uh, part of uh, that level as opposed to the air because then you really would have uh, had your hair blown off uh, then there's uh, Yuzo Koshiro is an interesting one you associate mostly with the, the Sega stuff from the 90s you know Streets of Rage Shinobi and all that because I mean, I mean he's done plenty beyond that and then um, Masafumi Takada is ba- a frequent pseudo collaborator right. uh, working on the uh, grasshopper games uh, then Noriyuka I'm not how would you pronounce that <laughs> Iwadere I, I guess all right Noriyuki Iwadere uh, that one the, uh, uh, that person I'm not so familiar with but, but has apparently composed uh, your for some pretty you know, famous RPGs like Luna and Grandia and oh. then uh, and then the most famous RPG composer of them all uh, in the, out of this group would be Mitsuda right. having done you know, the Chrono games and, and the Zeno games including Xenoblade he worked on quite recently although as you mentioned that had quite a few different composers on it including Shimamura uh, and stuff like that and it really is interesting all these famous composers are essentially guns for hire now you know, they're all part of uh, the, these teams that specialize you know companies that specialize in i want to say rpg music basically yeah. oh they, they do dabble on other things but well apparently so well sakurai is apparently like knows where they hang out and can get them together at the drop of the hat and yeah. the, you know, i mean for stuff other than rpgs for what so I mean, that's what's uh, fascinating about this you know, I, I, I remarked about this so, sort of uh, off air during RFN once you know, it struck me as sort of counterintuitive that apparently you know it took all those games and all the fans clamoring for it and then Miyamoto having an epiphany when they had the orchestra uh, playing the Zelda anniversary stuff at E3 for him to think god we could have orchestral music at Skyward Sword whereas you know for Kid Icarus it could be completely skip all of that because well Sakurai wants it well he gets it then right. that's fine you know, drop of the hat well you you know, let's do it. And I mean, this game exudes 
tremendous uh, production values in the audio space. You know, I mean, it's uh, they, they must have spent a good deal recording all this stuff. It was a great deal of music, and, and what you've got to remember as well is that the or the air sections because they are on rails you know it's all very tightly choreographed it really is much like a, a cinematic school i was going to bring that up yeah it's not written to loop it's not you know like a typical video game song and also it's having to work around the dialogue because that's <laughs> happening all the time i mean it's literally working with jokes you right. know there's a, there is a moment in one of them where you know there's a sort of comic silence uh, in the dialogue and the uh, you know, to emphasize that you know pitt is uh, not going to like the answer he's going to hear and the music does likewise to fit in and so you know that's a, a really interesting kind of thing they had to do there was to be you know, very specific with those parts but then on the, on the land battle parts they kind of have take you know some of the same motifs and then work it into something that can loop now right. like a typical video game song because you, you the pace isn't controlled you're just fighting enemies and it's a case of how long you take to clear a lot of these kill rooms in a lot of cases of how long it's going to take you to get through the level i haven't played this game quite as much as you i think i've gotten through maybe 11 or 12 chapters so i'm maybe a third to halfway there maybe my guess but um I, i'm still not sure what to think i, I enjoy it kind of in spite of some problems with it, but I, I definitely appreciate the production values. I, I think, um, I mean, what it sets out to do in terms of the presentation, it, it pulls off very well. I mean, it, it's definitely going for yeah. that kind of Saturday morning anime thing, but maybe a higher quality one. Yes, yeah. It's, it's definitely got a bit of touch of class about it that you wouldn't expect. The music being chief yeah. among that. I mean, this sort of lush, rich, diverse kind of score is not something that you would associate with you know, the kind of story that's being told a lot of the time. Right, well, I mean, yeah, the, the dialogue, uh, I, I really was worried about it. I mean, because I, I knew it was going to be very, you know, um, dialogue driven from the demos at E3 and uh, sure. and PAX East last year, uh, <laughs> topical, and um, <laughs> and uh, you know it doesn't bother me. Every once in a while, it's actually amusing. Um, I mean, I, I was very concerned that you know I, I'm not always receptive to the anime style blathering, and, and there's definitely a lot of blathering in this game. But yeah. but the uh, the voice acting is good enough, and the, the the direction that they were given clearly is was sufficient to to make it so it at least fits in and, and it isn't distracting yeah. in any way it does i mean i did find because i like the music so much i did go into the settings and dial the dialogue down a little bit in the mix because uh, i was concerned initially that it might drown out the music yeah. and i think as we've demonstrated with those songs it would be a terrible shame to do that because it's so good and uh, you know it's a, just if you, you could still hear it you know if, especially if you kind of want to pay attention to it but if you just lower it in the mix a little bit it kind of melts in a little bit easier i find and then it's it's not such an issue because the thing is obviously as i said it, it happens in the air when everything's really scripted right. but at the same time it's, there's still a lot of it on the on the ground parts as well right. they still manage to fill it out uh there so so you don't really get like a, a break from it in that way mm -hmm. and so you need to kind of get to a place where you're comfortable with how it's mixed in your mileage is going to vary in terms of your tolerance for, for it. Some people are really going to love it. And obviously, you know, the target audience of whatever adolescent boys or whatever, I'm sure they're going to eat it all up. 
Well, they are trying to have their cake and eat it a bit, though. You know, I mean, a lot of the references, I think, yeah, obviously <laughs> to the old games. Oh, sure. uh, you know, a lot of people, and, and even stuff like. I mean, there's one some that go beyond just like, oh, there's a silly, you know, eight-bit sprite on the lower screen mm, to yeah. show how different you know, it looks like. That one, one of my favourite bits where they actually directly reference how upside down the game's difficulty curve was in the case of oh. the NES game. <laughs> I, I guess I didn't catch that one. It, it was, it, when he gets to the underworld, which is where the game started in uh. the NES version, they said, this is where you died the most, oh, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> which is completely true, having played that recently, as people who listen to RFO will know. So, you know, you can appreciate that sort of thing uh, if you're an older gamer, or maybe if you're someone that's just got back to Kid Icarus there with it being topical. So, it does work on, on multiple levels in that way. So, it, it might not be um, your really your searingly brilliant stuff or devastatingly witty, but it's done with enough panache, yeah. I think, to, to, to carry it off. Right. Some people like pun jokes more than others, but... You know. Yeah, the pun stuff can get a little bit. And, and I mean, they, are, they do kind of make fun of themselves, so that doesn't absolve them altogether in that regard. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, they're, they've committed to filling this stuff out, and, and so it, it relies upon some, what I would consider annoying anime-type tropes of like, oh, I'm going to give you a silly nickname and keep calling you that. And, yeah. and I was <laughs> yeah. like, come on, guys, that, that's been done to death. But, you know, all in all, it's actually, you know, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I play more than one or two chapters, my arm pretty much falls off, so I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. Yeah. No need but, to rush uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, overall, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, and I do think I think the, the soundtracks it it it, it, does, it walks a good line because on the one hand, you know, as you say, you do get these games that have plenty of different composers these days. But in this case, because it's going for a cinematic kind of thing, I think it's important that it feels cohesive. It's and I, I think it generally does manage to you know the, the way they use recurring motifs and all that. It, it does have a strong sense of you know uh, being one collective sort of piece. But at the same time, there's no question you can detect the influences from the different composers if you're familiar i mean certainly one of the boss battle themes put me immediately in mind of xenoblade (laughs) and i'm I'm quite sure that mitsuda is indeed the the common uh, thread there and of course you know uh, (laughs) sakuraba uh, (laughs) he is he is uh, very demonstrative with the way he does things so he's always going to be pretty easy to pick out but also it must be said they do whoever's involved in the independent tracks and i haven't seen a, a complete breakdown they all do seem to do a very good job of recalling the themes from the 8-bit game and working them in in a really satisfying way uh yeah having just played uh, the nes game on the 3d classic version obviously i'm very much in mind of those and so it's really cool to see them worked in mm. to this cinematic style it's always been catchy the kid icarus soundtrack but now it's you know, with this full orchestra it's so grandiose uh, they, they do it really well so in a way maybe more than five people worked on this soundtrack because you've got to give a big tip of the hat to hip tanaka mm. who did the original yeah i guess there's been enough discussion of, of kid icarus you could certainly talk at length about you know the gameplay and the, what's good about it what's bad about it i think you touched on it a couple of weeks ago on rfn and i pretty much agree yeah. with your analysis there um the, the only thing that I wanted to bring up that uh, we haven't mentioned yet was that what's up with the Metroids? Yeah, they, well, they, is, they, is uh, that a, is they that a in, reference? They, 
they were in the original NES game, though I think that was maybe, you know, something that was, yeah, because they had this, I'm not really clear on all the specifics, but they were kind of developed at the same time, both within Gunpei Yokoi's division. Okay. And so I don't know if there's a little like cross pollination, almost like joke, like you know, we'll have the the, the Metroids in Kid Icarus as well. But it's it's purely being you know, faithful to the NES game to have those in it, and then they they have some they have some fun with that in Uprising. All right. Okay. Very good then. All right. Well, uh, the next game Greg doesn't actually know. So this is a uh-huh. this is a listener request from Rob Ford from Delaware, Ohio. That's a fun song. Yeah, it is. But it's eight uh, bit. Yeah, you knew it, didn't you? You know, I'd struggle with this one. <laughs> oh, is that sock hop? Is that what that's called? That style of music? Yeah, I, 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 I've not got a good feeling about this one. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> 
Ah, that's enough. <laughs> I'd be surprised if that wasn't a boss music or something. Something very threatening. Well, here's your question, because I don't think you know it. Oh, I'm going to need something. <laughs> <laughs> so, according to the game's instructions, what must you eat enough of in order to ring the bell? <laughs> Are you thoroughly perplexed, or do you have some notion of what game this could be? Oh, well, the only line of thinking that I've got is that with that style uh, that it's got quite distinctive in the first and third songs, 8-bit and all that, is something they have played, something they've played for Retroactive, uh, which was uh, River City Ransom. Hmm. Um, the thing, I didn't play that all that much uh, with the sound on, as it were. I mean, obviously it was played on the telly, but I had like, maybe listening to a podcast or something like that, or just other music on my headphones or something. Uh, so I, uh, but on the other hand, I would kind of expect maybe something to have resonated a bit more closely rather than just stylistically, which leaves maybe open it could be another Kunia Kun game, perhaps. But did, did, did you do dodgeball like not that long ago or, or something? So, uh, I, I'm kind of out of uh, out of mileage here. Well, this is a rare game. Oh, it is Snake Rattle and Roll. Oh, ah, yes. <laughs> there you go. One of the rare NES games I did not play. I played stuff like Cobra Triangle. Uh, yeah. But, but, well, no. This actually kind of is some similarities. Cobra Triangle was an isometric game as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was sort of a weird sequel-ish to uh, RC Pro-Am in a way. It was because it was part racing game, but part action game. 
Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you know much about this game, but it, it's I certainly heard about it because you know uh, back then if, if I was getting magazines and stuff, and they would cover Rare's NES stuff pretty well. Yeah, pre- presumably you know because they were uh, British and sure. you know they were known for making computer games as well, which were big in Britain, like stuff for the Spectrum and stuff. So mm-hmm. you know they were a name developer here long before the Donkey Kong Country days and all that. So I'd certainly heard of it and I'd heard good things, but I'd never heard the soundtrack before. Uh, well, it, it's a weird game. I mean, you're this, like, snake, or sort of, maybe a snake head, who, who's going around these isometric... You jump or swim, and and you, basically your goal is to eat as many uh, of the baddies as you can in order to grow bigger. And uh, when you grow big enough, I, I guess you're able to hit like a bell because you know it's kind of like uh, one of those carnival bells where if you're you know strong enough and you hit it it you know <laughs> it dings and hits the top so if you're heavy enough it'll yeah. i guess is the idea so and that'll unlock the, the exit that's usually nearby where that thing is so you got to get through the level and you got to eat enough to be heavy to unlock the exit and uh, you probably don't remember the name of the the things you're supposed to eat, but they they are called in in, in true rare form nibbly pibblies. <laughs> you gotta love the consistency. That's the thing. <laughs> well, one thing I was wondering, I'm not sure whether you would know, but it, was this considered to be infamously hard, like a lot of their NES games? Because uh, you know, Battle Toads, another one I haven't played, is completely infamous solar jetman i discussed that on the bucket list episode wanting to play it and johnny was like oh that is you know ridiculously hard so i mean snake rattle and roll like that i think it's pretty difficult but i don't think it's at that level i've never played it and you know it's not fear watching youtube of whatever someone who's probably restarting every five seconds to get a tool assisted speed (laughs) (laughs) but uh I mean, you know, it's an isometric platformer, so that in and of itself is going to cause some problems, right? I mean, sure. being able to, to gauge jumps or position relative to enemies, you can use your tongue to eat them. And so, I mean, it's going to be tricky just on a technical level there. Um, but I, I think it is pretty tricky. I mean, I, I watched some of the later levels, and, and it, there is some pretty crazy platforming. And, you know, thinking back to the sort of games that are similar that I've played, like... I don't know. Uh, Sonic 3D Blast. I, I feel I feel fairly confident it must be better than that. Surely well, it, it is. I'm sure it's a better game than that. But <laughs> uh, I, I but, did beat but, that game, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's it's tough to do a platform with that sort of an angle. You know. Um, yeah. You know, think about Marble Madness. It's another game kind of built on the same technology, and uh, yeah. you know that that's a tricky game to just to judge where you are relative to things. So. So I suspect it is a very difficult game, but perhaps not Solar Jetman difficult. Um, yes, well, I, I, I certainly would like. It's, it's a big part of, you know, the eight bits. Kind of what I was going to say to start with. There, you know, the eight bit games are my weakness because I was deprived of a lot of them. And of course, Virtual Console has filled in quite a few of those gaps. But when you're talking about Western developed stuff in general, and of course, Rare has some very specific issues in terms right. of why they wouldn't get onto Virtual Console. Well, 
there's still just these really big gaps of, of stuff that I haven't played, and, and a lot of Rare's NES games are, still, are, are things that I'd like to, to go back to. And, and certainly, you know, you look at Cobra Triangle, which we, I know you have used in the past. That's got really good music. You know, I think that they had you know, a, a pretty uh, good, uh, solid understanding of how to get you know, really good stuff out of the NES. And uh, this, uh, this uh, I thought that was pretty fun, uh, those three songs. The music and the visuals are very impressive for this game. I mean, I, I'd say it looks on par with, like, uh, Kirby uh, Dream Course, which is a Super Nintendo game. I mean, it, it looks really good. Um, so, I mean, I don't know what they did there, but it's like... <laughs> Um, nibbly pibblies, yes. <laughs> Did they have googly eyes on them that have to, or was that more? Uh, no, I don't know if the snakes had googly eyes. They, there was that. Was that? Was the technology not there? The yet? technology wasn't there. You know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a terrible stereotype thing to say about rare, but you know, if the shoe fits. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, uh, that was a request by uh, Rob Ford from Delaware, Ohio. Uh, let's go on to the next game.
well, between the, those two songs, I'm hoping that was ringing some bell somewhere uh, with most people. Uh, it's quite a lot for your ears to chew on in figurative terms. Uh, which leads us to the bonus slash hint question for this game, now that you're back in my domain. Uh, which is, why does this series soundtrack reference so many famous classical compositions? What? I thought that song was from, like, Sonic uh, Cartoon or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I thought it was from the... If this is for a British listener, I thought it was from the Alton Towers advert. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that might have been decisive uh, for some people if they were trying to reason out what this could be. What game is this, Greg? This is our import game, the game that never came out in America but did come out in Europe for some reason. This is a parodious uh, nonsense fantasy, as it was called in Europe, where the non and sense are hyphenated rather than one word (laughs) for some reason. Uh, But this is the Konami parody of Gradius, hence parodious. And uh, uh, for whatever reason, as far as I can tell, despite the fact that these games were quite numerous uh, for a few years anyway uh, in Japan and uh, some of them including this one managed to uh, make it over to Europe this was this particular soundtrack year was uh, from the Super Nintendo version of the game but uh, I can't really find any sort of record of, of a parodious game making it to the States on a Nintendo platform anyway well why is this series so popular? Well, it was, it kind of was popular, it kind of wasn't. Now, I will say that I have never played a parody game because the rap on it basically was yes, it's a lot like Gradius, but it's all silly and, you know, it's a big joke. And instead of, you know, like threatening sci fi enemies, you fight giant eagles and women that are like, you know, showgirls and all sorts of stupid stuff, giant octopi, you know. Uh, but basically, what it amounted to was that the game was a lot easier. Mm. So, you know, if you were an import game, it's like, oh, great. So I get, like, you know, I sort of dumbed down Gradius for 70 pounds, I beat it in a day, and that's that. That sounds great, you yeah. know. <laughs> So, even though it might well have been fun, I, and I might well have enjoyed it, you know, this like that was not happening. Yeah. But in terms of the following in Japan, this goes back to the, uh, the the quest, the hint question. So, why does it feature so many classical compositions? Uh, in the first two songs, you heard no less than two. Uh, references to Tchaikovsky, <laughs> Waltz of the Flowers, and Swan Lake, and then of course in the Hall of the Mountain King that began the second uh, uh, song there from Greek. So it, you know, it's filled with it. It's absolute tons of uh, this game alone references so many famous pieces. 
but the reason why it does originally is the very first game in the series was made for MSX, which Konami had a sort of inexplicable affinity for with shooters, despite the fact that it had what I would consider to be quite a strong disadvantage for that genre in that it couldn't scroll things properly. <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason it had a lot of Konami shooters on it, and uh, they just decided to make this game that was a silly version of Gradius. And apparently the composer was only given a month to do the music. And so he said, there's no way I can write anything original in that time. I'm just going to use public domain stuff. And then when it got popular, they just kept doing that. That became the series signature. Uh, Although what they did do was start to bring in more references to Konami games. Uh, Obviously Gradius, which uh, the third song there was the it was an arrangement of the music that you get in the final level of the original Gradius. Uh, but, um, you know, they the, the would reference Contra, all this other stuff. You know, so uh, as the series went on, it kind of became increasingly a, a mashup of, of classical and Konami uh, to the point where in, in, I think one of the, the latter installments uh, for the PlayStation, the d- conceptually disturbing, sexy parodies, uh, they, they have a level which like starts with the vampire killer from uh, you know Castlevania and then goes into polka music. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just mental. You've got to look some of this stuff up on YouTube or wherever uh, to enjoy just how bizarre it is. And I guess that is... It's, it's so Japanese. I mean, it's just preposterously Japanese. I'm guessing that's how it you know, enjoyed this pretty prolific phase. I think, you know, the first game came out... Uh, on MSX sort of round about 1990 maybe a a, a little earlier and then the series was pretty much done and dusted within six or seven years Uh, but uh, the fact is in that time they had like three for the Super Nintendo quite a few for uh, PlayStation and Saturn you know so it just had this sort of explosion and it became quite a lot more prolific than actually Gradius the series of the father (laughs) And, and then somehow just disappeared and died and maybe sexy parodies was the nail in the coffin but it, I guess it kind of lives on in, the, in today um, for XBLA you get those shooters that are called Otto Medius that are I, I, it's a bit it's based that's also a bit like stupid Gradius but it's more like you I think you literally play as uh, scantily clad girls so it, uh, it's just more seedy okay. rather than uh, sort of charmingly weird it's true colors have been shown. <laughs> Supposedly, those are not as good as shooters either, from what I've read of people that, that, that know the different series involved. So, yeah, maybe it's still got a bit of a spiritual successor kind of thing going on. But, uh, you know, I, I guess it's, it's a, it was a, a kind of a, a nice thing in some ways in terms of it was a, a counterweight to that movement that you had around that time of, of just the escalation of just like shooters have just got to be harder and harder and more and more complicated. He was something that kind of went against that, uh, to some extent anyway, and that was, you know, I mean, I think some, some installments still were pretty hard despite being completely absurd. But in general, you know, that wasn't the point. It was actually, you know, meant to be kind of silly and just fun. 
uh, to a large degree and, and it references the, the various installments at some point you know, it really did become kind of like a your Konami Smash Brothers kind of thing like you could play as Kid Dracula or you could play as Goemon mm. and you know they brought not so much in this particular game I don't think but uh, you know across the series they would just have cameos from all the different Konami characters and, and the music definitely uh, in certain cases does remind me of Goemon that kind of silly instrumentation that, that Konami had uh, going on uh, for some of the more farcical elements of the Goemon games on Super Famicom. Okay, well we got one last game here. Yep, it's another good one.
That was a pretty happy song, that one. Very energetic. upbeat or energetic than the first one but I think you might be able to detect a few different influences in sure. there uh, but we do have uh, a, a hid question this time that I don't really think is probably as helpful as some of the other ones that we've had on today's show but nonetheless uh, who or what are you trying to catch in this game <laughs> Oh, 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 
I'm exhausted from just listening to that. <laughs> it's relentlessly upbeat, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a game that really tries hard and really wants to be Japanese, even though it isn't. <laughs> yeah, so this is the eShop exclusive Mighty Switch Force by WayForward. Uh, but I, it's interesting, you know, uh, I, I obviously I've played the game, I've spoken about it a little bit on RFN, but I was interested to hear what you thought about some of the music, because you're a bit more of a, a scholar of, of Sonic <laughs> soundtracks than I am. And I was just, I, I I was, uh, yeah, I mean, I have got a limited exposure. I was just wondering, like, how, especially that second song, definitely was putting me in mind of, you know, Sonic stuff, uh, or at least Genesis stuff. I'm not, I'm not hearing it. <laughs> I'm not hearing the song. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, it, it's a lot of stuff in this that kind of it, it felt like uh, it was maybe at least going to that sort of genesis as the touchstone. I mean, obviously, the instrument samples in general are much, much higher quality than any genesis right. game you've ever heard. But I think it kind of goes for that kind of ethos uh, with the soundtrack. Uh, at times, definitely, you know, reminded me a bit of you know, some of that era, a bit of Michael Jackson kind of influence as well. Yeah, I guess so. Which, which yeah. always makes, I, he's inextricably linked with Sonic with me because of the whole uh, yeah. Sonic 3 thing, whether he did or he didn't actually write the music <laughs> for that, I, I don't know. Uh, and they I, I mean, they're not so much, I don't know whether it's necessarily as apparently those songs, but definitely, if you've ever heard any of Daft Punk stuff, you're the guys that did the Tron movie soundtrack recently mm. I think there's some de- definite uh, influences there uh, but this is, yeah, the music itself here is composed uh, by Jake Kaufman, or Vert as he's known online who has basically done way forward games for a very long time now he goes back with them to the original Shantae for, for, for Game Boy Color so uh, quite a while uh, and of course he's done all the other mighty downloadable games you know uh, right. flip champs and the the milky way and uh, contra 4 he did with them as well of course so which was a bit of a different kind of project but the kind of thing that you, you would seem well suited to because you know i was familiar with with vert online from just stuff that he'd done you know like remixes of classic songs so it was a really amusing what he did of clockwork from castlevania 3 i remember finding that years ago yeah, so I mean, he's he's very well schooled in this kind of you know uh, do something that's going to channel you know old Japanese video games right. when in fact you know he's just a, a Western kind of composer in the in the in the 21st century. Uh, he generally does a pretty good job, and I, I think this is one of my favourite soundtracks of his. Uh, I think it definitely kind of fits the kind of gameplay really well from the point of view that you know this is essentially a time attack game. Yeah. So it, it's all about you know, getting everything. You, you are the answer to the trivia question. You are trying to catch the hooligan sisters, basically of five random female convicts that are strewn about a given level, and you've just got to you know, capture them all where, uh, as quickly as possible, get back to the exit, and that's it. And the funny thing is actually that uh, the the par times, there's sort of you know, you could get like a medal if you get it under a particular time. Uh, none of the levels, uh, apart from the very last one, go over like two minutes for that. Wow. And uh, you know, like um, some of the levels, some of the levels are like thirty seconds or so. Now you won't do it that quickly the first no, time. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, but the but it's interesting. 
that you have tracks that you know do not have like re- you'd be forgiven because it's a downloadable game and all this kind of stuff uh, you know that's a time attack game you're doing it kind of quickly that you might have your shorter simpler loops you know you can compare it to the two Super Nintendo games we did during mm. this episode yeah these are much you know longer and more complex as you go kind of go places in the in the process of the song and I don't know how much you necessarily pick up on that when you play the game to be honest because you're just sort of blasting through stuff but I think it has a nice kind of you know, subliminal effect of, sure. of this sort of process being sort of uh, a merry jaunt if you will well my experience with this game was, was kind of a bizarre one because um, I uh, I went to a live event where they were promoting this game Oh, it was uh, in a suburb of Los Angeles um, I think it was maybe the first time they were showing it off to the public in a playable format. So, you know, they, they basically had rented out uh, some space in a parking lot. In a, it, it's sort of a Japanese district. Um, Sawtell, if, if there are any listeners in, in the LA area listening here. And um, and, and so, you know, there, there are some Japanese toy shops or whatever and, and restaurants. So it's, it's a good venue for this sort of... Japanese-ish kind of game, and, and so they were just like projecting on the side of this building, in a parking lot, and blasting out the music, you know, people playing it and, and stuff, and and you know, I got to touch out a little bit with some of the developers. Uh, unfortunately, my criticisms that they didn't really address, um, but uh, you know, it was an interesting, fun experience. You know, I got to play the first five levels or so of the game. It's a pretty good portion of the game. There are, yeah, that's what I was going to say. There are there are sixty <laughs> levels, and again, what's impressive. Is the number of unique songs, you know, for, for, when you consider that there are, you know, 16 short levels. I, I'm not sure if every one of them's got a unique song, but it must be nearly all of them. Because, uh, you know, there are a lot. And it's impressive because, of course, you know, I think what we've become accustomed to with downloadable games on Nintendo platforms is very restrictive. And so, you know, you just wouldn't really be able to expend the amount of space it's a, you know, with the 40 megabyte limit on WiiWare and God knows what it is on DSiWare. But, of course, eShop is not nearly so restrictive. And the thing is, despite the fact that it is a game of, of modest size in terms of, you know, the scope of it, the, how many levels, how complex it is and all that, and because of the very high quality sprite work, it probably, to some extent, but I think probably in large measure the music, it's a pretty humongous eShop game. I think it's like a thousand odd blocks or something. Wow. So, you know, uh, uh, they really uh, they went all out with having, you know, a lot of really high quality music and a lot of different songs to go with it and that I have to say it was well spent from the point of view that it was a big part of, of me enjoying the game um, was definitely the polish yes, visually it's very attractive mm. I love what they do with the parallax layers in the stereoscopic yeah. 3D and all that but the music too really just makes it you can kind of get into this really kind of jolly kind of rhythm to it it's kind of infectious and you know it does make it more inviting you know into whatever limited kind of lasting appeal it does have and for me I've got all but a couple of the part times and I've played it for less than six hours so I mean you know very nearly played it to absolute exhaustion and it's still you know hardly uh, an epic but you know I think replaying those levels is much more inviting when you've got this kind of uh, cheerful and really fun soundtrack to go with it I'm curious if you had kind of the same problem I had with this game. There were two things that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way on this. Right. Um, one was how the game kind of freezes while it's shifting 
the blocks that are going in and out of the screen. Yeah. And uh, the, the other thing that kind of bothered me was I found that there were situations where I was focusing on trying to solve a puzzle, kind of a timing-based puzzle, and there just happened to be fire from off in the corner or some baddie walking around. You just ignore it because you're trying to work on this puzzle. Yeah, the, the whole run-and-gun-ish kind of component is, is really strange because it's so trivial. It's so almost not there, and yet it yeah. is there very slightly. It's kind of strange because, of course, you know, this is way forward. They did make Contra 4. It's, you know, they've made those, these kinds of action games elsewhere as well. So, you know, when, when they were first showing it and you see this character with a gun going around, you're shooting some baddies and stuff, you know, that's kind of what you're thinking as well. As The puzzle element was obvious from the start. But, I mean, really, it is just that the puzzle game, the shooting elements are kind of trivial in most aspects. You know, sometimes you have to shoot stuff in a particular timing as part of a puzzle and all that. But, you know, occasionally right. there are just some enemies that are there to be shot sort of for the sake of it and I guess the, the thing with that is that it is so trivial that on the occasion where it does intrude it kind of feels like you know it's, 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 well it, I died I was it, died trying to solve something because I, I totally wasn't paying attention you've got like a quite a limited health bar it's like three hearts or whatever so I mean, yeah I could see that I, I, don't, I didn't have many cases of it myself but I could definitely see that it's just it, it feels extraneous to the point of where it does interfere it's like well you know should it you know that's a, that's the yeah. problem when it, it does feel a bit of a some vestigial element I don't know whether they ever had any different ideas for the game and it kind of went in a different direction broadly speaking it's not a very important part of the game sometimes it, there's there's more of a component to figuring it out other times it's just executing it crisply as you said you've got to master that whole thing with the screen kind of freezing and getting the timing down and kind of understanding some of the you know the idiosyncrasies with the collision you know, could be because you know, you've got the whole thing of like if you you've got you're switching blocks in and you know from in behind back into the screen into the foreground with stereoscopic 3D and if you mistime it it'll sort of shunt your character and kill right. you as it uh, you know, sort of cr- crunches you against the screen as it were and the thing is is that you've really got to get used to the precise point at which you're kind of past that you know uh, it, it, I don't know whether that collision detection is quite as sort of intuitive you've got to, you've got to get used to it a little bit yeah it feels like a fuzzy line or whatever yeah you... definitely you you need to you need to get that down from from you know a number of plays and stuff. So yeah, it, it's got its issues and it's you know it's um it's relatively a bit of a one trick pony of a game. But you know that's the thing. I think with the downloadable service, uh, I'm quite happy to you know, play a game that's got a limited scope, a focus scope, if it does it well and it's fun, which I think broadly this does. It doesn't necessarily make it the biggest steal on the eShop. But I, I still find that it was worth it, and certainly that proposition is sweetened by the level of audiovisual polish that the game undeniably has. Well, that was, well, I guess it was a Greg request, but it was also recently requested by my friend Steve Ronsley, so it's kind of a, a double request there. We're going to have to wrap things up here. Um, 
Greg, I want to thank you for, for co-hosting. It's always a pleasure when you're able to come on. Oh, well, I should thank you. You know, I always enjoy this sort of thing where we do manage to fit it in. I appreciate you indulging me, my selections and my uh, reflections and the thoughts on the games and whatnot. Um, absolute pleasure. And uh, I hope we'll do it again sometime. I don't know how long that'll be, but uh, <laughs> for now, absolutely a pleasure. Thanks so much. Uh, you can, of course, hear Greg on uh, Radio Free Nintendo. He, he uh, co-hosts or sometimes hosts when Johnny's away. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it seems to be the case more often than not these days. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, check that out. I heartily recommend it. I really do. <laughs> yes, well, you're biased. You, you sleep over a, a hot uh, computer cooking that, that it does, it does, boiling it down to its essence. It can, it, as, as the seasons turn, I, I'm reminded of how warm it can get in that room. <laughs> All right, well, uh, if you have a request for this show, you can email it to me at typ at nintendoworldreport.com or go to the show notes, quote-unquote. I don't really like using that term for this uh, podcast because there really aren't any notes. But uh, if you go to the show notes, there's a link to uh, a form where you can submit your requests that way as well. So send them to me. I I keep a list, and I do dig deep into it. So um, I I try to skim some recent ones as well as some uh, old ones. So uh, send them to me. I will get around to them eventually. With that, I'm going to say goodbye. And uh, see you next time. Bye-bye, everyone.
Super Ghouls and Ghosts is copyright 1991 Capcom. Kid Icarus Uprising is copyright 2012 Nintendo Sora. Snake Rattle and Roll is copyright 1989 Rare. Parodius Nonsense Fantasy is copyright 1992 Konami. Mighty Switch Force is copyright 2011 WayForward Technologies. That was hideous. <laughs> Plenty of food for thought, though, uh, for guessing which game this might be. Uh, I'm going to re-record that. I, I got I caught a little bit of a, a loop there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know how we're going to do that again. But it was hideous. <laughs> it was hideous. <laughs> ah, crap. <laughs> Just can't recapture that moment, can I? <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg. That was uh, that was pretty hideous song. It's all part of the progress that you will see.